Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to Psalm 23. We are in the middle of a series of messages we've been calling Living in the Overflow. And uh, we're talking about living in the overflow of God's goodness. And so Psalm 23 really is all about the goodness of God. Uh, David writes this psalm and he's wanting to communicate that the Lord is our shepherd and, and we are his sheep. And he takes care of his sheep. And so he really unpacks the goodness of God for us because his goal is for us to understand the goodness of God, to trust in the goodness of God, and to walk in the goodness of God every single day. Now this morning what I want us to do is I want us to focus on verse 4 where David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now what is interesting is there is an actual valley of the shadow of death in Israel. It's located in the Judean wilderness. And I've got a picture of a section of it for you. That's a, that's a monastery uh, that's built into the mountain there. Uh, this is the Judean wilderness. This is the section of Israel where Jesus went off to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And so it's in between Jericho and the city of Jerusalem. What's interesting is in this area, you notice the canyons there. At the base of the canyon can be very narrow. And the canyons can be up to 900 feet high. And so there are certain uh, times of the day where that's the only time you're going to see the sun if you're at the bottom of the canyon. Uh, and basically that time of day is at midday because there are certain sections that are so narrow uh, that shadows drape over the valley uh, most of the day. And, and uh, so the only time you're going to see the sun really or see the sunlight is, is at noonday when it's directly overhead. Now, the, the word valley got me thinking about the God of my valleys. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story that is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 20. And it's the story of the king of Syria. Syria is a, is a nation to the north of Israel. And so the Syrian king developed a coalition of 32 other nations, and he decided to attack Israel. He, he wanted to depose King Ahab, the king of Israel at that time. So he formed this, these, these, this coalition and they attacked Israel. And God showed up in a huge way. And the Israelites soundly defeated the Syrian coalition and, um, and, and basically kind of just wiped them out that day. Well, about a year later, the Syrian king got the idea to do this again. And so he, he mustered up the 32 nations to form this coalition. He got his top generals together, and they began to review the battle plan from the previous year's battle. And this is what they concluded. They, they basically came together and said, Israel's gods are the gods of the hills. And last time we fought them, we fought them in the hills. So let's don't do that again. Let's fight them in the plains and let's fight them in the valleys. And their conclusion was, we will defeat them. So they changed their battle plan. They amassed a huge number of troops to fight against Israel that day. And I want to share with you what the writer of 1 Kings records about this battle. It's found in chapter 20, verse 27. You can just read it on the screen behind me. And so the writer of Kings says this, And the people of Israel were mustered... And were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them. Now get this. Like two little flocks of goats. 
but the Syrians filled the country. Now, Bible commentators estimate that Israel probably had about 10,000 troops, and the Syrian army had about 100,000 troops. So you can only imagine how this was landing on the people of Israel at this time. This is going to be a route. This is going to be, the Syrians are going to beat them by five touchdowns in this game, and it's not going to be very pretty. But you know what the good news of the gospel is? God has the last word, doesn't he? Man may make his plans, but God has the last word. And so defeat may look inevitable, but God's got something to say about it. Let me show you what he says about it. Verse 28, and a man came, and a man of God, that was probably a prophet, came near, and he said to the king of Israel, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. You see that? Therefore... Because they have said, I am not the God of the valleys, therefore, I will give this great multitude into your hands, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, that gives me chills up my spine right there. Do you understand what he's saying there? This is, this is what God is saying, that, that God is not just the God of the mountaintop. He is the God of the valleys. God is not just the God, you know, not just God when everything's good, when everything's hunky-dory. God is the God of hard times as well. And that is absolutely what he's saying. Now, the implication of that is profound for us today. It is absolutely profound. When you think about the implications of this, uh, they are just massive. And let me just share with you one implication. What this means is, if God is not only the God of peak experiences and mountaintop experiences, but if he's the God of the valleys as well, that means practically for you and me, we don't have to be dominated by fear and anxiety. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to let anxiety control our lives. Why? Because the impact of the goodness of God, when we really come to understand God's goodness in our life, we don't have to fear the valleys that we, have to, that we walk through. And we have to walk through them, don't we? We don't have to be afraid. You see, in the Bible, valleys are really metaphors for difficult times in our lives. The Bible talks about all kinds of valleys. It mentions the valley of trouble or the valley of weeping or the valley of failure uh, we're looking at the valley of the shadow of death today. There are all kinds of valleys in Scripture. And so these valleys are all the difficult times that we have to walk through in life. And what, what God is really trying to communicate with us is that God says, I am with you when you're riding high, and I'm with you in the deepest, darkest times of your life. I'm, I'm with you when you feel defeated. I'm with you when you feel depressed. I'm with you when you feel discouraged. I'm with you when, when it seems like I'm distant. I'm with you when, when you are absolutely dis, you know, uh, distracted and you feel defeated. I'm with you no matter what. And that is the good news of the gospel. You know, as I was thinking about this, you know, the truth is most of our lives are lived in the valleys, aren't they? 
I mean, what makes a mountaintop experience such a wonderful experience is they're so few and far between because we spend so much of our lives in the valleys. And, and, so, and so that's just kind of part of life. And I think what, what I want us to see today is that God is with us in the valleys. And we can, we can walk fearless in those valleys. We can walk in peace. We can, we can know his presence and joy even, even in the valley that you're in right now. Isn't that good news? Can I get an amen to that? All right, so here's what I want to do. I want us to read Psalm 23 today, and I'm going to ask if you are willing and able, would you stand together as we read the Word of God? So David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now this morning, I, I want to just take a few moments and just share with you three facts about valleys. And the first fact is I want to really talk about is the reality of valleys, that valleys are real. They're a part of life. But secondly, I also want to kind of focus a little bit on anxiety in the valleys. We, we live in the age of anxiety, so we so we know all about anxiety in the valleys. But then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the security that we have through the valleys. So let's look at the first one. Let's look at the, the reality of valleys. Now, for, for all the years that I've been looking at Psalm 23 and praying through it and studying it and preaching it, I've, I've always just kind of assumed that Psalm 23 was written during a time of peace and tranquility for David. You know, I kind of imagine him, you know, being at a summer palace you know, and he's, he's laying out by the pool, you know, and he's sipping lemonade and he's just looking out on the horizon a little bit and he notices uh, some flocks and shepherds kind of, you know, taking care of their sheep. And, and then he just kind of poetically just kind of writes this, this down because everything's good. Everything's cush for, for King David. But, but as I'm thinking about it, I'm not so sure that's true. Now, just to be honest, I'm not so sure it's not true, but I, it, you know, the fact is we really don't know, but, I, I, but I, I think it could be that maybe he's writing this in the midst of huge turmoil in his life. It could be, because if you know the story of David, his life was filled with valleys and turmoil. I mean, if you know that story, you know, you know that he's walked that path. I mean, for example, David was anointed king over Israel, but he had to wait a long time before he actually ascended to the throne. And any of us who've been in the valley of waiting, waiting on God, we know how hard it is to wait on God, don't we? We know how excruciating that is. When you're waiting for God to answer a prayer, you really need this answer, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's excruciating. And so David understands that. What's interesting about David is he understands the reality of, you know, just waiting and then somebody trying to kill him as he's waiting. 
because King Saul, the, the king of Israel at the time, was insanely jealous of David and his popularity among the people. So he tried to kill him multiple, multiple times. So David spends a significant portion of his life literally on the run. So that's a valley that he has experienced. He understands anxiety first and foremost. And then not only that, but really as a consequence of David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, David's family becomes an absolute train wreck. Uh, this, is, this is dysfunction with a capital dysfunction. And so he had to navigate the consequences of his sin really rippling through his family and just the problems that that caused for him and for his family. So he understands anxiety. And it could be that he's writing this psalm with that very much in mind and that very much the reality of what he's experiencing. So, so let's kind of think about just the reality of valleys for you and for me. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now I think, I think one thing that we can say about this, first and foremost, is that valleys are inescapable. Valleys are absolutely inescapable for you and for me. We can't avoid them. We can't steer away from them. You and I are going to walk through valleys. Chances are, if you're coming out of a valley, praise be to God. But hold on, you're probably getting ready to walk into another one. That's just the way it works. So my challenge, my encouragement to you is don't be surprised when the valleys come your way. Because valleys are a part of life. In fact, Peter echoes this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, he says. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. Now, let me just share with you a couple of things about that. What Peter is reminding his readers of He's simply reminding them, look, don't be surprised when you face a trial. And he's reminding them, this is just a part of it. Don't act like something strange is happening to you. This is called life. God is good, but life is hard. And he's saying to them, don't be surprised. Then the second thing that he says is rejoice. And he mentions the word rejoice twice. He tells them uh, to, to take joy in the midst of it. Why? Because... He says, you share in Christ's sufferings. So we have the joy of walking through sufferings. And in our sufferings and in these valleys, we actually are drawn closer to Christ. Why? Because Christ suffered himself. And, and so if we share in Christ's sufferings, we will share in his glory. And that is really good news. Now, so, so we have this understanding that Valleys very much are inescapable. There's going to be times when you're depressed and discouraged and distracted and disappointed and, and disturbed and defeated. You're, you're going to experience all of those things. It's just, it's just a part of life. And yes, you will have to face death. That's the biggest one. That's the biggest valley. And my question to you today, church, is are you ready for that? Are you ready to face and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's, it's, just, it's just what we have to do. We have to face it and we have to be ready for it. And that out of God's goodness, out of his grace, we can be ready for it. Isn't that good news? 
I was reading about John Grisham, the famous author, and he shares about his spiritual journey really uh, was impacted a few years after he graduated from uh, law school because one of his classmates uh, was diagnosed with uh, a terminally ill disease, and, and so he met with his friend, and uh, his friend shared with him he only had just a few months to live. And so, and so Grisham asked him, he said, you know, what do you do when you realize you only have a limited amount of time to live? And uh, his friend looked at him and said, well, it's real simple. You get things right with God. You get things right with the people that you've wronged. And you spend as much time with your family members and friends as you possibly can. And that's how you get ready for death. That's how you get ready for the valley of the shadow of death. And we just know that that's what's coming for all of us. Church, are you ready? Are you ready? You don't know when that day is going to come. But you need to be ready. Now, valleys are also really unpredictable. When you think about valleys, when they come into our life, uh, they, they really are unpredictable. And so you, you can't plan them, uh, you, you can't time them, you can't control them. I mean, wouldn't it be really nice if you're like, okay, now I've gotten, I've, I've, I've gotten caught up in all my sleep and I'm, I'm, I'm really good financially and my family's in good shape. Okay, now I'm ready for a valley. Okay, here we go, let's buckle it down and we can do it. You, know, you can't really do that, right? Because we don't know we don't know what the future holds. Valleys are unpredictable. And even the writer of Proverbs understands this. Proverbs 27 verse 1, uh, Solomon writes this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And so we make plans for tomorrow. We have no idea what's coming tomorrow. No idea. And so in that way, valleys are unpredictable. But valleys are not just unpredictable. Valleys are really for everybody. And I've already kind of alluded this. But valleys are no respecter of persons. So the Bible tells us that the rains fall on the just and the unjust. You know, that, that valleys come to the righteous and the unrighteous. Valleys are just part of life. And there's, there's no amount of faith, church, that you can have that's going to shield you from valleys. And regardless of what prosperity preachers preach, no amount of check that you give to the church is going to shield you from the valleys of life. Because Psalms 34 verse 19 says it like this, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the, of the, are the afflictions of the righteous. But the, the Lord delivers him out of them all. You see that? And so, so we see that, so we see the reality of valleys in our life and it's just a part of it. And I think, I think a big part of overcoming fear and anxiety in the valley is just accepting that. It's just really having a mature view of it and saying, you know what, valleys are a part of life. Now let's talk a little bit about anxiety in the valleys because this is where, um, this is where everything really starts to get very practical for us. It's very common, very common as we navigate the different valleys that we go through, that we experience fear, we experience tremendous anxiety as we navigate the valleys. David understands this. David understands the fact that he's worked with sheep. He understands the nature of sheep. The very nature of a sheep is to be anxious, to be afraid. 
And David work, has worked with people, and he understands himself, and he understands the people that he's worked with, and he knows that it's human nature for us to be fearful and anxious. He understands that about us. And so, and so he, he says in verse 4, because of all of that, something very surprising. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, that's kind of not what we expect because we understand if you're walking through a valley, you're going to be a little afraid, right? You're going to be anxious. You're going to be nervous. But he says something completely different. He says, even though I walk through the valley, I fear no evil. And so it kind of catches us off guard. And not only that, but he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So think about it, church. He picks the worst possible valley, like of all the valleys, the valley of the shadow of the death, that's the worst case scenario. You guys track it with me on that one? And, and so it's just interesting. He says something that kind of surprises us. He basically says there's a way through the valley where you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to let anxiety dominate you. That is really, really good news. And, and he says it, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to walk in anxiety. Now, what is the valley of the shadow of death? Let's, let's kind of camp on that just a little bit. In Israel, in the late spring and in the early summer, when the, when the rainy season ends, the sun comes out and it is, it is hot in Israel. And uh, so it starts to burn up the grass because uh, things get really, really dry there. And so what the shepherds would do is they would, they would drive up their, their flocks up into the hills to find greener pastures because uh, that's where there's some, there's some green grass for them to eat. And so in order to get higher up in the mountains, there are times when they've got to walk, they've got to take their flocks through the valleys. And so they're, they're walking through the valleys and they're getting onto these paths and uh, they, they have to walk through some, some rather dangerous sections of these paths to get to greener pastures. Now, what was the danger that awaited them? I think one danger was, the, was just the, the danger of taking the wrong path. So, so what would happen is, uh, in the rainy season, the rains would come down, rain in the mountains, and then wash out the path. So you couldn't see the path clearly. So it would be very easy to drift off course and get off onto the wrong path. And so, and so the sheep would find themselves on the edge of a cliff, and the sheep at the, at the very front would stop and see the cliff. And the sheep behind them would just keep walking, jumping, pushing, shoving, because they think there's green grass on the other side. But there's death on the other side. So they're pushing sheep off. So that could easily happen uh, as they're taking them up into the mountains. But there's also the danger of the natural enemies of a sheep, like a wolf, a bear, or a tiger that would literally just slaughter the flock in just in just a blink of an eye but there was also the danger of false steps and so sheep aren't very athletic animals uh they're not very coordinated so it'd be very easy for them to take a false step to fall uh, to fall off the cliff to get into a ravine to get trapped in a crag what, what whatever and uh you could the sheep could easily die and so so there's a lot of fear walking through these valleys. There's a lot of fear walking to greener pastures. And I think there's uh, some real kind of parallels for us as you, as you think about this. There's anxiety in the valleys, isn't there? There's real anxiety in the valleys. 
you know, as we uh, kind of think about this, he's obviously highlighting the valley of the shadow of death, with, which, which I think is purposeful for him. Because I think what David is doing is he's arguing from greater to lesser. You know, he's basically saying, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is the worst possible valley, and I fear no evil. And so that means I'm not even concerned about the other valleys. Because if I can, if I can walk through, by God's grace, the valley of the shadow of death, with no fear, then I can handle all the other valleys. So what are those dangerous valleys? What, what, what could really come upon us? Well, I think, I think for us, there's the danger of the wrong path for us. I think the reality is, is all of us, church, are vulnerable to straying off course and to getting off on the wrong path. That temptation is ever-present. That pull is ever-strong in you and in me. And so the danger of the wrong path is very much real. And through, through our sinful choices, you know, we can make choices that hurt those around us and hurt ourselves and hurt the God that we love. And so we, we become fearful of our lives, you know, becoming uh, ruined because of that. Or we're fearful of, of our loved ones taking the wrong path. And we begin to be anxious for the choices that they're making and the decisions that they are, that they are you know, that they're making themselves. So there's, so there's that. There's a whole set of anxiety just, just wrapped up around that. Then, then there's the danger of our enemies. You know, we, we fear dark valleys because we think oftentimes things that are beyond our control could overwhelm and destroy us and ruin our lives. And so we become anxious and fearful, just like sheep. Or there's the danger of missteps. So we have to make decisions. We've got to make career decisions and relationship decisions and financial decisions and parenting decisions. And we, we fear the outcome of those decisions. And, uh, and so all of this has us anxious, fearful. And it's a part of navigating the different valleys. So David says, even though I walk through the greater valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So how in the world can he say that? What is his secret? How does he get to that place? I think we want to know. And I think the third thing I want to talk about is this, and I think this is the answer. He has found security in the valley. He has found security in the valley. He has absolute confidence in the worst case scenario valley for you and for me that God is with him now this is this is all about this question of security is all about who you have your confidence in this is it this is the ball game church who do you have your confidence in so the strength of our confidence is the directly proportional to the strength of the one we put our confidence in. All right, let me just say that again. The strength of our confidence is directly proportional to the strength of the one that we put our confidence in. Let me ask you, what is or who is the basis of your confidence? You know, it's pretty easy to discern that when you're around other people. 
because they will basically tell you with their words the basis of their confidence. When someone's going through a valley, people will often say, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. Or they will say, I knew it was going to happen all along. I knew it was going to happen all along. I just knew it. And here we are. Now, what's the difference between those two comments? When you just think about it on the surface, what's the difference between those? I can't believe it's happening to me. I knew it was going to happen. What's the difference? Well, here's, here's, here's the difference. One person is seeing themselves as a very good person. I can't believe this is happening to me. I mean, what did I do to deserve this? Nothing. And they see themselves as a very good person. The other person sees themselves as a bad person because they're like, I knew this was going to happen. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Now, what's similar about the two responses? Do you know what's similar? Both are basing their confidence on themselves. That's what's similar. You see, each response reveals the basis of their confidence, that they're trusting in themselves, literally trusting in themselves. And so church, what I can tell you from experience, from my own struggle with this, is when self is at the center, anxiety flourishes and grows. When we're trusting in ourselves, anxiety just multiplies. Fear just multiplies because it's really all about the strength of the one you put your confidence in. And the truth of the matter is, we're not very strong. And so that's why David's not saying, I can't believe this is happening to me, or I knew this would happen to me. He's not saying that. You know what David is saying? I fear no evil. Now, why? Well, he tells us in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. You see the basis of his confidence right there in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He, he in fact, says, says this twice. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fear. And so, and so if you want to defeat anxiety in your life, church, listen to me. Surrender to the shepherd. Surrender to the shepherd. Whatever valley that you're in, whatever you're tempted to worry about, give it to the shepherd and let it go. Trust the shepherd. And I am telling you, peace and calm will fill your heart. You see, the strength of our confidence is directly proportional to the strength of the one we put our confidence in. And he can handle it. He can handle it. Why? Because he is good. He is good. You and I were made to walk in full surrender to our Lord and Savior, to our shepherd, Jesus Christ. And he will take care of us. I love the story of Kayla Mueller. She was a missionary to the Middle East. She was 26 years old when she was captured by ISIS. And um, she was captured in 2014. They held her in captivity for just about a year and then they finally executed her. And uh, during, during that year that she was in captivity, they let her write letters home uh, to her parents. And um, 
Her letters are just filled with apologies for the suffering that they had to go through because she, she got captured. And so, but th- there was one thing that she said that was particularly interesting to me, and I just wanted to share it with you. She said, she says this, and I quote, she said, I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. And she says, I've come to the place in experience where in every sense of the word, I've surrendered myself to him. And so she goes on to say, by God's grace and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in the free fall. What a great phrase. By God's grace and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I have been shown in darkness that there is light. And I've learned that even in prison, one can be free. I'm grateful. I've come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. And she says to her parents, please be patient. Give your pain to God. I know you would want me to remain strong. That's exactly what I'm doing. Do not fear for me, but continue to pray as I will. By God's will, we'll be together soon. All my everything, love, Kayla. Now church, do you you know what that is? That is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God is with me. Now, how do we have this security in the shepherd? I mean, where does this come from? How do we we get this? I, I think it comes by just really remembering three things. And let me just share these with you. Number one, if you want to have security in the shepherd, we need to remember that God is always with us in the valley. God is always with us in the valley. We need to remember that I'm not alone. It doesn't matter what the valley is. It doesn't even matter if I cause the valley. God is always with us in the valley. He says, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see that? You see what he's saying there? Now, I didn't notice this, but I, I was reading the commentary, so I picked it up from them. But do you notice that there's a, there's a shift in grammar in the 23rd Psalm? Did you notice that? The first three verses, he is, he is really using the, the distant third person. He's talking about, you know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's using that distant third person. But in verse 4, there's a shift in grammar where he starts talking about the intimacy of you are with me. Do you see that? I mean, I just jumped off the page when I, you know, when I read that. And, and, so, and so then the question is, well, why the change in grammar? And I think it might have something to do with shepherding again. I, I think oftentimes when a flock is out in the open field, they're just hanging out grazing. You know what I mean? They're just like eating and life is good and, and the shepherd's just hanging out. And he leads them to the green pasture. He's out in front of them. He leads them to, to quiet waters. He leads them to rest. But when they're walking through the valley... The shepherd takes a different position. The shepherd walks alongside the sheep in the valley. And and so really what we get here is this imagery of, you know, the sheep in the first three verses are talking about the shepherd. But in verse four, 
He's talking to the shepherd. You see that? Isn't that interesting? You are with me. And it's that closeness that is really coming through and being communicated. He is, he's really talking to the shepherd. Now here's the thing, church, and you got to remember this. When you're walking through the valley, you got to think about how you're talking to yourself. And oftentimes when we're in the valley, we're talking to ourselves and we're just creating more fear and anxiety by, by how we're talking to ourselves. Because we're saying, well, what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And then, oh my goodness, what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And it's just negative meditation. You guys tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? And, and really, we need to just stop talking to ourselves. What we need to do is talk to the shepherd. Because James remind, uh, reminds us, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. So we don't really need to even be talking to ourselves. We just need to be talking to our shepherd. And when we talk to the shepherd, we don't need to ask, what if? We just need to say, whatever, Lord. Whatever. Because I know you're with me, whatever the valley I go through. Whatever it is. That's surrender. Whatever you want from me, God, I'm good with. I just need you. That's all I need. And man, he will honor that. So if you want security in the shepherd, you got to remember that God, the shepherd's always with you. Then number two, remember that God has a purpose for the valley. I talk about this a lot. I, I bring us back to this. There are certain things, church, you can only learn in the valley. If, if God is going to make us like his son, Jesus, and he is going to do that, We've got to walk through the same valleys that Jesus walked through. Now, the good news of that is Jesus understands the valleys that we're walking through. Like, he, he understands the valley of weeping. You know, he understands the valley of trouble. He understands, he, he understands all of that. He even understands the, the, the valley of failure because he took on our failures. He understands all of those failures. And so we can take tremendous confidence to know that God has a purpose for the valley that we're going through because what we know that ultimately, ultimately what God is going to do is he's going to take the valley that we're walking in and he's going to use it to make me like Jesus. He's going to change me inside and out because there's just certain things you, you can only learn in the valley. You can't, you can't learn them anywhere else. I love Romans 5.3 on this. The Apostle Paul's reminding the Roman Christians about this very same thing, about the valleys that they're walking through. He says, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so he's just reminding them, he's just giving them a kind of a 50,000 feet view that suffering is a part of life. It's just a part of the deal. But the good news is that God is going to use it redemptively. He's going to use it to grow us and to change us. And that valley doesn't define us. It doesn't ultimately hurt us, but actually God uses it to grow us. And then lastly, we want security in the Savior, in the shepherd, we need to remember that God has a reward that will last forever. We need to be really focused on, the, on eternity, on the reward that's going to last forever. Here's, here's really the good news of the valley that you're in right now. Let me just lay it on you, okay? Here's the really, the really good news. It's not going to last. You're going to get through this valley, whatever it is. 
no matter how difficult it seems, you're going to get through the valley. That is what we know. God is going to see us through all the way to the other side. 2 Corinthians 4 has the portrait of this. It's so incredible. It's breathtaking. He says, so we do not lose heart. We're not going to get discouraged. We're not going to lose courage here, church. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that by grace. So something's happening within us every single day, whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, it's happening with us every day. And then he says this, for our light momentary affliction. Now notice how he describes the affliction. Notice how he describes the valley that, that they are walking through. He calls it light and momentary. Now he's not making light of the pain and the situation that you're in, but what he's saying is in light of eternity, in comparison to eternity, what God is gonna give us for all of eternity, the valley that we're going through is really small. So for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us, it's purposeful, is what he's saying. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we do something, as we look not to the things that are seen, we don't focus on what is seen, but, we, but to the things that are unseen. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, I love this because really what he's reminding us of is this, that in the valley, there's glory on the other side. And he is going to share his glory with us. And it is going to be, it's going to be amazing, church. It's going to be unbelievable. And so uh, we, just, we just cannot even imagine what it's going to be like on the other side. But I'm just telling you, God has prepared something good and great uh, for those that love him. Now, let me just kind of wrap up with this. You know, if you're going through a valley, um, Christians and non-Christians have to go through the valley. Um, but there's a big difference in how they go through the valley. Christians don't go through uh, the valley like non-Christians go through the valley. Uh, because the difference is non-Christians don't have Christ. You see, what we have in the valley is we have the one who's walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. So that death doesn't destroy us eternally. We have the presence of our Savior in the valley. And that makes a huge difference. That makes the calming difference. Because you see, if you're not a Christian, if you've never crossed that line of faith, you're all alone in the valley. It's all on you. You got to figure out how to get to the other side. And the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us we can't get to the other side through our own effort or our own goodness or our own wisdom. We can. We need a savior to get us through the other side. Here's my question. Have you asked Jesus to be your savior shepherd? That's the question. Have you asked him? And have you committed your life? Does your life reflect that request? Does your spirit testify with the spirit of God that you're a child of God? Do you know that? 
Church, you can know it because it's a part of the goodness of God that you know that salvation lives in you, that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You can be sure of that. You don't have to doubt that. You don't have to question that anymore. You can draw a line in the sand with the blood of Christ and say, you know what? I'm on his side. I'm a part of his flock now. And so all you have to do is confess your sins, which is basically agreeing that you need to save your shepherd. And then repenting of sin. And we have this negative connotation of the word repentance. It's like we have to give up something good, something that we really don't want to give up, to, to take on something bad. And that's not it. Repentance is really a call from death to live in life. That's what repentance is. And God calls us to repent. He calls us back into life. And he says, embrace true life. That's what repentance is. And then you believe. You believe the gospel that that our shepherd laid down his life so that we could have eternal life. It's just that simple, church. And so I don't know what valley you're walking through, but I know God wants to meet you right there in the valley. And God, by his grace, will pull you through. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so amazing just to reveal your heart to us, to reveal your goodness to us, to reveal your grace to us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would just be working in our midst right now. I pray that Lord, if there are those that are watching online or just here in person and they're not ready for death, that you would just move, move them to take that step to trust in your grace. To stop trusting in their own goodness and their own attempts, but to trust in you, the Savior Shepherd. And I pray for those that, those of us who struggle with anxiety, God, I just pray that, Lord, that we would, that we would just turn away from putting our confidence in ourselves and we would, we would choose faith. We would choose to put our confidence in you. Then we can say, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, God. Would you just make that real to us today? And I want to give you all a moment, just keep, just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you a moment to respond to what God is speaking and saying in your life right now. Maybe there's something you're worried about, there's something you're anxious about, you're struggling with it. I want you to talk to your shepherd about it and ask him to give you faith that your confidence would be completely in him. If you've never committed your life to Christ, if 
you would like to give your life to Christ, I, I want to just lead you in a prayer. And it's just really simple, just confessing your sin to God and turning away and repenting and, and then just believing the gospel, believing that Jesus forgives you through his blood, through his performance. And so it's just receiving that gift by faith. So if you're willing to do that, would you just pray this prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. That your spirit would be born within me. And, and that I would be made new. That I would be forgiven. That I'd be saved. That I'd be cleansed. I would be changed and assured that I'm a child of God. So God, I pray that your spirit would just work to seek and to save the lost today. We thank you and we praise you and all of God's people said, amen and amen.